Linda Zimmerman is the ghost investigator, looking into haunts in the Hudson Valley and doing some UFO investigations as well. And this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. She's released 10 ghost investigator books and has a UFO book as well. From a few years ago, let's talk some haunts with Linda Zimmerman. Linda, it's nice to have you back on the show again. And as always, the Ghost Investigator has been busy. And for those who don't know, this is Linda Zimmerman from ghostinvestigator.com. And uh, she has written how many ghost books now? Uh, six. Six ghost books. Yes. And there's a new one out, obviously. There's a new ghost book out, uh, Ghost Investigator Volume 3, mm-hmm. a new book of ghost stor- true ghost stories, mm-hmm. but I also just uh, had published my first Ghost Hunter novel. Oh, really? I'm very excited about. Now, that is fiction. That is fiction. That's called Dead Center, mm. and it's about a female ghost hunter, and uh, no surprise there. No, no. I wonder who she was modeled after. <laughs> <laughs> and she's called down to Virginia to investigate a large shopping mall that's just been built on a Civil War battlefield mm. site. So there's uh, there was a lot of... Uh, good opportunity to let my imagination run with that one. You didn't base that on your Gettysburg experience, did you? <laughs> a little bit? Some of it, yes. Really? No kidding. Some of it, um, things I had seen and heard about it at Gettysburg and then through, you know, my Civil War uh, research and kind of combined it with some of the things I actually do and threw in some gadgets, you know, dream gadgets that I dream that I would love to have someday myself and can't afford or they don't exist yet. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Now, uh, how can people get this book? Uh, you can get autographed copies through ghostinvestigator.com. Okay, great. And is it available at Amazon as well? It's Both of them are on Amazon.com. Beautiful. All ghost books. And Barnes and & Nobles carry them. Um, so they can be ordered through any bookstore as well. More with the Ghost Investigator in just a moment. And let's talk about the the non-fictional uh, ghost book. Uh, this is these are some new haunts you've investigated, or yes, uh, mostly in the Hudson Valley area mm-hmm. uh, with this volume. And some of them were fascinating. The the thing about doing this is a lot of the times you go in there and you have no idea what's behind it. You know, people are hearing things go bump in the night, and you can't tie it into anything. Right. But in this this particular volume, I was fortunate enough, a couple of the stories, we were actually able to do some research on the house and the people who live there and tie them into actual people and events and get photographs of them. Mm. Um, So this one was particularly satisfying. Are those in the book, the photos? Yes. Oh, great. Yes. Try to include, uh, try to include the photos. Mm -hmm. Um, for instance, there was a story where a, a boy was, there were all kinds of strange things were going on in the house, and the little toddler had an imaginary friend he was talking to, this man by the name of Lawrence. Hmm. And I just got a hunch, and I said, you know, do you have a cemetery nearby? And they said, oh, yeah, right across the street. So I said, I bet it has some, you know, there's a Lawrence buried there. Sure enough, one of the closest graves to their house was a man named Lawrence who had a connection to, they found out, had a connection to that house. Whoa. So, I know, that one, I, I still get chills. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Yes. So, again, when you can actually tie it into something like that, 
Wow. Pretty special. Yeah. Any, any other highlights that you can share without, you know, giving too much away so people can get the book? Well, it seems like the, one of the favorite uh, people are telling me one of their favorite stories in the book is about a woman who uh, brought home a pair of cemetery gates. These very large, heavy wrought iron gates that for 150 years, you know, marked the boundary between the living and the dead. And she thought they'd look good at the end of her driveway. <laughs> oh, wow. So mm. she installed them, and that night, something she couldn't see attacked her. Wow. And they record voices in the house, see all kinds of things. So naturally, people ask why she just doesn't get rid of the gates if all these things are happening. And she's afraid that if she takes the gates away, whatever she brought with them will then be trapped there. But I think it's worth a try if she's having that much trouble. Well, considering that it started when the gates were installed, I mean, my way of thinking is it's kind of like it's telling her that those things, that the gates don't belong there. Exactly. You know, that they should be put back where they were. You That's know. right. I'm, I'm always telling people to try not to bring home souvenirs from graveyards. It's mm. <laughs> probably not the smartest thing they could do. I mean, let's theorize a little bit. Is there is there something that happens in that kind of place? Is because of, I guess, the nature of how people are laid to rest. You know, it's not everybody you know, passes away or dies in a in kind of a good state of mind, I guess. Right. I think with the majority of these hauntings, you can tie it into some kind of unresolved issues. Hmm. Um, whether it was a tragic death, a suicide, uh, unrequited love, whatever it is, there's something unresolved. And obviously a cemetery, you're putting in a very high concentration of that kind of, uh, you know, possibility for a haunting and I, I can't explain the mechanism of why the cemetery gates would initiate that kind of activity but here's a clear case of it so uh, as you said it, it just seems obvious if it began the day they brought the gates I would say get rid of them yeah yeah how about one more do you have any another one you can kind of give us uh, there was a fascinating one of uh, a woman uh, an elderly woman was found asleep one night she had her hearing aids out and she heard her husband yelling fire like at three o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. so she jumps up she's looking all around doesn't smell smoke um can't understand what was happening because she should not have been able to hear without her hearing aids and also, her husband had been dead for three years. Wow. So she's thinking, what, you know, maybe I was just dreaming. First thing the next morning, she calls a friend of hers, and she's telling her about this experience that she heard her husband yelling fire. And she thought her friend would, you know, make fun of her, and her friend, you know, instead was silent for a few seconds, and she said, well, at three o'clock in the morning, the house where you used to live with your husband caught fire, and four people died. Whoa. So, yeah, I, again, I get chilled with that story. So this woman was asking me, well, if he had the power to call to me from the other side, how come he didn't know I wasn't still living there? And I said, I think you're kind of looking at this wrong. If there was one way for your husband to let you know that he was still with you, it was to say fire at that moment. You know, and, and that's kind of, you, you can't argue with that, that he was aware that this place they used to live was burning, so it was an indisputable way for her to realize it wasn't just a dream. Right, right. So and, that was... Uh, and, and maybe the lines of communication are not 
so firm that like a telephone where you can actually communicate very easily from one existence to another exactly. i guess you know exactly do you do you find that 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 the other side so to speak it's it's not the rules are not as firmly defined as they are in our own real world absolutely and you know and until we're all on the other side i can't say anything definitively but sure. it seems they have just limited very limited opportunities to make a sound uh, an image some kind of quick flash that may spark a memory or get you to realize you know who it is that it's one of your loved ones just trying to let you know that they're still there Mm, wow so as i said with this volume in particular i w it was fascinating to really get some solid tie-ins mm -hmm. you know rather than just telling the story of the legendary you know woman by the side of the road or something like that right. you know, we were getting names dates and places this time but how long have you been investigating the hudson valley now uh about six years now uh, and it's it seems like to be a hotbed of uh, of uh, supernatural activity there it really is because you have first you have all the Native Americans who were here for thousands of years and mm -hmm. on top of that the Dutch colonists mm -hmm. came in in the 1600s and then the English and so you have these layers of of groups here and hundreds and hundreds of years of history yeah which certainly again lends itself for for more hauntings sure it it does seem to be a very rich area for this Wow. For better or for worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it just seems like there's a lot, you know, obviously, how many, you've done how many volumes on that area alone, or? Most of the six were uh, were of this area. The, oh, wow. the Ghost Investigator Volume 2 mm -hmm. was one I wrote about Gettysburg, mm -hmm. um, the night we spent in Lizzie Borden's house. Yes, so, we covered that last year. Right, so I was starting to branch out a little, but this latest volume, um, I'm concentrating back in the Hudson Valley again. It's just, there's there's really no need to travel far because these things are right in our right in our backyard. Yeah, why not? I mean, you know, you're, you're there, and, and probably there is no one else. Are there other people investigating that area besides yourself? There are some paranormal research groups in the area, a few individuals, but nobody who really does it, I guess, on this scale, and nobody that I know of that really writes about it as well. Mm -hmm. I, I think... I'm kind of unique in the way that I do my own investigations and then I write the stories. Right. It's it's just it's just so fascinating to me to get in, you know, and do a hands-on approach, get into these places and see what I experience. Mm -hmm. I think that helps make the stories, you know, more interesting that I have the first-hand experience when I when I can. I think it's better too because you know the, you're not writing it through somebody else's eyes; you're there yourself. Exactly. And then you know, an eyewitness account is always better than than trying to do something through related through someone else's eyes, sort of. Right. Speak. And if I don't find anything, I'll say that. And yeah. I'll, you know, I'll still give the other eyewitness account, mm -hmm. but you know, I'm there to try to gather as much evidence as possible and you know, tell it like it is. So obviously an open mind is very much needed in that line of work. <laughs> Absolutely. Open mind, a little skepticism, and and a little bit of courage to stand your ground when things start uh, really happening. Well, what was the most scariest thing you've seen in your investigations? Scariest? It wasn't something I saw. It was something I felt. It was a house in Port Jervis, New York. And one of the people that was with us started 
you know, like making boogeyman faces to the camera. Yeah. And I said, no, don't, please don't taunt whatever is here. And within minutes, there was this overwhelming feeling that whatever it was wanted you out of his house. Really? I had just never experienced anything like that. Wow. And we were literally throwing throwing our equipment in the bags and running out of there. That was the fastest I had ever exited an investigation. <laughs> that is really wild that you can actually feel that. Yeah, yeah and, and I don't go in as a psychic. You know, I go in right. as an investigator, but some of these places are so overwhelming. You, you just can't help it. Like when I was sitting on uh, death row in, in Eastern State Penitentiary, uh, which was abandoned uh, at the time, and the feelings you get there, sitting in the dark, it's, you are flooded, you are overwhelmed with, with the feelings there. There's more with Linda Zimmerman, the ghost investigator, in a moment. Because sometimes, I guess, in the dark, your other senses are, you know, you're not focusing on using all of your senses as much. Right. And you can kind of use, you know, you can kind of use senses that maybe you don't use all the time. Right. And that kind of, uh, you know, they're a little sharper in that environment than exactly. they would be during the day. Exactly. And you're you're on edge because, yeah. after all, you're in abandoned prison on death row. And, and a lot of these places, when you know you're going into a haunted location, your senses are definitely heightened. Mm -hmm. and, and you're right. That's a good point. Doing it in the dark, your hearing's a little sharper. You're more apt to feel changes in temperature or different scents. Mm -hmm. You know, anything from perfume to really bad smells. Yeah, yeah. That's that's my second. That's another follow up. I mean, you obviously felt something, and in, in other words, instead of using technology to always find apparitions or whatever, you, you use your senses as well. Those are tools. Uh, now, the sense of smell. Do you notice? Is that connected to uh, potentially haunted places as well? Very strongly. Absolutely, and that's one of the things when people ask me about conducting their own ghost hunts. You know, I tell them, you know, don't wear your strongest cologne when you're going to do this because your sense of smell is very important. We, we were in an old lady's home, uh, again, an abandoned old lady's home. A cold rush of air came, and, and in that air was a scent of like, you know, like the perfume like your grandmother might have worn. Right, yeah. Very distinct. Yeah. And there have been times where something just doesn't feel right in a room and suddenly right. there'll be a very bad odor mm -hmm. there's a whole that runs the whole gamut of, of scent and that's that's very important it's not as objective as holding a meter in your hand and right. getting a reading but still it's a valid experience mm -hmm. and when you get many eyewitnesses over the course of decades experiencing the same thing in the same spot you know, it's very hard to discount and, and call it coincidence or imagination. Yeah, we're kind of used to seeing, you know, reading about hauntings and seeing it because of Hollywood as something visual. Right. But not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily manifest itself that way. We might not see anything, you know, judging from what you said, but right. you, you would feel something and definitely perhaps smell something. Right. And now let's go to the other sense. Do you hear things sometimes when you're in? Absolutely. Footsteps is probably one of the most common. Mm -hmm. um, I was in a place called Smalley Inn in Carmel, New York. Mm -hmm. It was an inn from the 1850s. Mm -hmm. I was down in the basement above our heads. Nobody else was up there. It was the clearest, loudest footsteps I had ever heard. Sound like a man in maybe heavy leather boots. 
Oh wow! Walking back and forth right above our heads. Uh, it was it was phenomenal. Wow! And, uh, I just couldn't believe how clear and distinct they were. And we've we've heard banging noises and doors slamming and. You know, again, all these different sounds, and we've re- recorded a lot of them. So you can't say it again. It was I thought I heard it. It was my imagination. It's nice to be able to play the tape back and like, oh yes, that there it is. Mm-hmm. Now, is it, is there a pattern to the footsteps or anything like that? It's depending on the depending on the haunting. Footsteps can indicate where. Uh, the path that the spirit is taking or an event that happened there. Many times you'll hear if somebody actually died in a place, they'll hear footsteps and a thud as if the person's body actually was still hitting the floor. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a tape loop of, of prior events. Mm-hmm. I also heard very distinct footsteps, as I mentioned last year at Lizzie Borden's house. Right. And then my door opened on its own. That was not my imagination. I, I really honestly thought it was somebody playing a trick on me because it was so loud and clear and distinct. So a lot of the times, you know, maybe it's a, the wind rustling through the, the rafters or something. You know, you, have, you, can't, you can't say every noise you hear on an investigation hmm. is a spirit. Right. But um, when, you, when you can't explain it naturally and it keeps occurring... You know, you have to come to that inescapable conclusion. It's it's beyond normal, the normal state of affairs. I guess it's easier to trace or investigate in an enclosed space like a house. Like if it was something that was outside, because there's so many scents and smells That's and right. things, it's almost impossible, which doesn't necessarily mean there's nothing there. It's just harder to detect it outside somewhere. It is. Cemeteries are, are usually a real challenge. You have cars driving by and, you know, animals scurrying around. And uh, so it, it is possible to do, but you're right. You have to have much stricter guidelines as to, you know, what evidence you will accept as, as something paranormal. Being in an enclosed space, a house, a restaurant, something like that, where you can control the environment more, mm-hmm. is definitely much more conducive to a, a good investigation. Let's go on to the visual. What is the percentage have you found where, where, you, where people have seen you know, spirits you know, manifested in some of these hauntings? Yeah, that, that's a good point. Actually seeing something seems to be on the low end, the percentage there. I'd say much less than half of these hauntings actually include a visual. And of that amount, I'd say less than 10% see an actual solid physical form. Uh-huh. They'll see lights or shadows or or maybe a misty fog-like shape. But uh, that may go back to what we were talking about, the lines of communication. It may take uh-huh. a lot more energy, a lot more effort to appear as a solid, distinct form. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, that because of the energy needed to actually manifest something on their end, uh, maybe it's just not as possible. So making noises and doing other things seems a lot more possible. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're trying to approach this as a scientific thing as opposed to, you know, something that is, you know, in fiction. Right. Just, you know, because it's a possibility. Because obviously that's the way you approach this. This is not... This is not research material for a book. You're actually investigating as an actual haunting. 
That's cool. Yeah, yeah it's, no, it's really amazing. I, I'm just really amazed at uh, the many ways. The way, from hearing you, you talk, the Hollywood way, that we are so used to seeing it as a manifested thing right. is not probably most of the norm. It's more the exception than the rule from what you've said, yes. you know, judging what you've said. Right, from this, definitely the cases I've dealt with and, you know, read about. Mm-hmm. It, it is rare. And that also makes it more difficult to prove because you don't always have something tangible. And, you know, we always love something tangible. That's for sure. You know, exactly. You know, it's, it's not easy. It's not an easy thing. What, what kind of reaction have you met from the local residents of the Hudson Valley? For the most part, I am amazed at how open people are. Of course, little kids are just fascinated by anything ghostly. But I get very educated adults. I get the full spectrum of people. There there seems to be this incredible fascination with, with, you know, the ultimate question, what happens after death? Mm Mm-hmm. It's scary, it's entertaining, but on the other hand, it's it's a fairly deep issue. Yes. Know, what happens to us? And I think I think in a way, even though people are, you know, just enjoying the stories on an entertainment level, that's also some kind of affirmation like, Yeah, you know, there may be something after we die. This this may not be be the end of it. And I'm amazed also at the sheer number of places. When I first decided to write my first ghost book, I thought, where am I ever going to get enough stories, you know, yeah. true stories, mm-hmm. to fill a whole book? I said, now I've got six of them. Yeah, isn't that amazing? And I have a long list. People get in touch with me all the time. I'm always looking for credible hauntings to investigate, and I have a list of places. Once I get through the month of October, my schedule, in November again, I'm going to be starting up the investigations again. Is there like a a quote-unquote busy season for you, or does it run pretty much all year round? It's a constant thing, but it it certainly intensifies in October because everybody's thinking of of Halloween. Halloween. Sure. Sure. And plus, it starts getting darker much earlier. That's true. Again, haunted activity seems to be more intense in the darkness, so we are are definitely approaching the the haunted season. Would you say it also intensifies because of the cold, too, especially in this area? It may go hand in hand. I think so, and I think the other thing is people are indoors more, mm-hmm. so there's more opportunity for, you know, when you're hanging out on the porch having a barbecue, you're yeah. less likely to experience, you know, the, the haunted activity in your house. So mm-hmm. it's colder, it's darker, people are spending more time inside, and it all seems to uh, intensify. What type of ghosts are they? Are they like poltergeists that are more mischievous, or are they, or do they have more of a purpose? It, it runs the gamut. Some of them are completely innocuous and just seem to be spirits who don't realize they're quite dead yet to something like the cemetery gate situation where they're in, you know, they're trying to harm the living. Mm. So those are, those are very intense. You can usually feel it when you walk into a place. Not always, but a lot of the times whether something tends to be more negative or it's, it's on the benign side. So, mm. I'm not real happy when I encounter the real negative one. Yeah, I don't blame you there. One of the most intense experiences I think I have ever had, I was in a former mental hospital, which is now a daycare center, believe it or not. Oh, wow. I photographed this very bright red light in an abandoned section of the attic where there's not even any electricity. That's interesting. (laughs) That was very intense. Heard footsteps. 
And in one of the rooms, I felt the most chaotic, intense energy I had ever encountered. It was like if you took everything, all the thoughts and feelings of a, of a human being and put them in a blender. Mm. It was, it, I, I don't know how to explain it otherwise. You know, I, I said, I've, I've been in prisons and cemeteries, and you come across some pretty nasty characters, but this was the most chaotic, frenzied feeling. And, and I, I stopped for a second. I said, oh my God, this this is what the torment of the real mental, mentally ill people is. This this absolute chaos and despair. It was it was horrifying. Wow! It was absolutely horrifying, and I, I needed some serious uh, downtime after that investigation. That that really affected me. Wow, that's amazing. That is really amazing. So you can get these books at ghostinvestigator.com, and this is volume three. That's yes. available. Yes. And what's the name of the uh, the fictional ghost well, that's store? Dead Center. Dead Center. Get Linda's books at ghostinvestigator.com. And speaking of get, you can subscribe to Sci-Fi Talk Plus for free for a lifetime with no catches by clicking on the link in the show notes. This is Tony Tolado.